It is Sunday, February the 16th, and we are going to be looking at uh, verses in Leviticus chapter 7 and chapter 1, and we're going to be talking about, probably for the next several Sundays, uh, what happens in 50 days. We've been talking about the dedication of the tabernacle and the consecration of the priesthood, uh, and we've been talking about those days. There she Good is. Morning. Good, morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Sorry, Mr. So we have finished up that study, and we're going to to move on into the next days as far as what happens. And I'll tell you, it's a busy 50 days. If you want to think about it in terms of a time span, uh, granted it's a shorter time span, but think about our lives between Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know how it kind of just goes by in a blur and everything runs together? Actually, we could go from uh, Halloween through Christmas almost because that's how retailers dump it all together nowadays. Mm-hmm. We go with Happy Thankmas or whatever I think I've seen people say before uh, because it goes by so quickly and in a blur. Well, these people, did, needless to say, did not sit down on their hands and not do anything in this time span. So I want to set up a time frame first, and I have that on your handout. And we're going to look at the time that has transpired starting back in Exodus chapter 12. Now I gave you some scripture reference, so I don't want you to think I'm just pulling these time frames out of the air somewhere. This is scripturally based on this time frame. So Exodus chapter 12... Does anybody have any idea what have, might have happened in Exodus chapter 12? Uh, Passover, exactly. It was the first Passover, and it was the day that Israel left Egypt. And it happened on the first month of the year on the 15th day. Passover was actually observed on the 14th day. There you go, sweetheart. Uh, yeah, I almost fell out on the floor when I walked in. I'm like, cool. <laughs> well, I hope it's more of a permanent thing this time. Um, So this is when Israel left Egypt. And I want you to give that in mind. This was a brand new, God told them this is a brand new year for you. This starts the first day of uh, a brand new year for you. And he tells them actually on the first day of the month, I want you to get the lamb. I want you to keep it with you for 10 days. I want you to make sure it's good on the 14th day. I want you to... uh, Kill it and apply the blood to your um, doorpost. On the 15th day, you're leaving because at midnight, I'm going to go through and kill all of the firstborn, but yours will be protected. So Israel leaves Egypt on the 15th day of the first month. Brand new time frame for them. God's setting them up to say, forget what happened in the past. This is a new beginning for you. So that's all found in Exodus chapter 12. 
Now, look over into Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1. And it says, And in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So, third month, now they have arrived at Sinai. Sinai is where Moses receives the Ten Commandments. This is where they have been camped this entire time. It's where they're still camped. But it happens on the third month... It says on the same day, so we're going to go by Scripture and say on the 15th day of the third month, they arrive at Mount Sinai. So they have traveled from Egypt to Mount Sinai, first month to the second month, second month to the third month. So that's their time frame. That's what they've done. They've now been at Mount Sinai. Now, go to Exodus chapter 40. And verse 17. And Exodus chapter 40 and verse 17, and it says, And it came to pass in the first month In the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. So this is when Moses erected the tabernacle. And they said in Scripture, this is the first month, first day. We are now into the second year. We talked about before, we have gone through this timeline before. And those of you that have been here with me through all of this study, we have talked about how long it took them to make all of the components of the tabernacle before it was ever erected and put together. And it was a space of um, possibly six to eight months. Because if they got there in the third month, you've got 12 months, there's nine months in this time frame right here. But remember, Moses was gone two different time frames for 40 days. So that cuts into that time that they had to take up all the offerings, get everything made, get it built, put together. Well, Moses has now erected it. So we're into the first month of the first day. They have now been out of Egypt for a year. So, Leviticus chapter 8. Does anybody remember what happened in Leviticus chapter 8? was the next thing that we talked about after the tabernacle was erected. Yes, y'all got it. I hear it over there. This was the consecration of the priesthood. Aaron and his sons. 
also the dedication of the tabernacle. So this happened in the first month. And we're assuming if this was erected, I would think it would have taken the full day to erect that tabernacle, don't you? In fact, it might have taken longer than one day because there was so much involved with that. Remember all of the pieces of fabric, all of the pieces of wood, all of the um, structures that went to the ground to hold everything up, all of the ropes, all of the pins, all of the different things that were there. So we're looking at the first month of the second year. This took place on the it took a seven-day span for their dedication, remember? They were there for seven days in the tabernacle for their consecration. Leviticus chapter 9. This is actually what we talked about last week. Does anybody remember what happened on the eighth day? Remember I kept asking you what was the eighth day? When was the eighth day? Yeah, it was when the first, it's when Aaron and his sons actually took control of the priesthood. It's when they offered their first sacrifices. So this is when Aaron and his sons assumed their roles and started offering sacrifice for the people. This again is in this first month. We're going to assume eight to nine days in of the second year. So actually, this first time frame has been very busy for these people. We like to think, well, you know, they just lollygagged around. They were camping. They were doing this. They were doing that. They were busy. So now I want you to look to a future date that we have not studied yet. Look at Numbers chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses 11 and 12. Numbers chapter 10 and verses 11 and 12. And there it tells us, And it came to pass... On the twentieth day of the second month and the second year, that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony, and the children of Israel took their journey out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. So guess what? They are now leaving Sinai. And we are told it happens in the second month of the second year on the 20th day. So what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of Sundays is this time frame right here. What happens in this time frame? From the 8th or ninth day of the first month through the 20th day of the second month. It's about a 50-day time span. And it's busy what these people will be doing.
So I just wanted to, you to get that time frame, that picture in your minds again, even though we've been studying this, our study hasn't gone by in 50 days. Our study's been more like 50 months, seems like. We have been studying this for so long. But this is the time frame. So let's talk about what happens in those 50 days. And you know how the Bible is really good about sometimes not getting things in chronological order? Sometimes it's a little out of order. Well, that's kind of what happens with some of these things. We know for sure they happened in this time frame, in the span of 50 days, but it's not necessarily known which event took place first or how it took place um, in this time frame, but it did happen in those 50 days. So let's go to Numbers chapter 7 and let's look at verse 1. And it says there, and it says, and it came to pass, Bible loves those words, and it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes and were over them that were numbered, offered. Now we're going to stop right there on that part for today. So we're told that after Moses had the tabernacle set up, that everything that had been anointed and consecrated, all of the vessels, everything set up, it says that these princes of Israel bring an offering because it says they offered. So your second question on your handout says, according to number 7-1, who brings an offering to Moses at the tabernacle? So who shows up with an offering? Yeah, the princes, the heads of the household uh, of Israel, they show up with an offering. Now I'm going to stop right there because I want us to determine who are these princes of Israel because they're actually listed and talked about in Scripture several different times. In fact, we have already talked about the leaders of Israel being present when Aaron and his sons were consecrated, how that they were there to witness it, how they were there to see their dedication and their consecration. They were also there to see as they assumed the roles of their priesthood and the first sacrifices that they offered. So let's find out about these princes of Israel. So this information is found in the book of Numbers chapter 1. I hope y'all got all this because it's going away. Because I ain't got room to write stuff. Now we get a time frame here of where are in this particular um, passage of scripture, but you'll notice it's Numbers chapter one. We just read out of Numbers chapter seven. 
And chapter 7 talked about Moses has got the tabernacle set up. It's anointed. It's consecrated. It's ready to go. And boom, these guys bring an offering. Now we go back to the very first chapter of the book of Numbers, which you would think would have been before the fact. But here we're given a time frame. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation, on the first day of the second month, in the second year, after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel, after their families, by the house of their fathers, with the number of their names, every male by their poles, from twenty years old and upward, all that are able to go forth to war in Israel, thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies. Now we're given a time frame of when this happened. Most commentators believe that this actually happened prior to the offering that we just talked about out of chapter 7. Because this is where those princes are identified. This is where we find out who they are. So let's not try to get confused over chapters in the Bible in a time frame. Let's just kind of go with the flow. Trust me, I had a hard time trying to figure out how to make all this work um, where it hopefully would not be confusing for you. So question three says, where do we find who the princes of Israel were? It's in Numbers chapter 1. Question number four, and I got two question number fours on here. So the first question number four, you can tell I changed in the middle of everything. First question number four says, when does the census take place? So when does it take place according to verse um, one? Second month, first day. Yep. Second, year. second month, first day, second year. They're still camped at Mount Sinai. They have not left yet. They're still there. So that tells us when it's taking place. So what they're going to do is they're going to number Israel. And there is a reason why, and it totally blew my mind when I realized why. I mean, it totally blew me away. Had never thought about it, had never heard anybody teach about it, had never been brought to my attention. So get ready, I'm going to blow your mind. Okay, so let's skip this little chart right here for just a second, and let's go down to question five. It says, what are the specifications on who is numbered? 20 years and up. Yep. Yep, age, this is in verse 3. It says, 20 years old and upward. Males. All males, 20 years old and older, that are able to fight a war. Yes. So if you were handicapped, if you were disabled, if you were diseased, you were not counted because you were not able to fight. If you were too old to fight, you were not included in this census. 20 years old, male, able to fight. 
Now this was actually, remember these people are about to, at the end of this 50-day period, they're about to take up their stakes, pack up their camp, and they're going to possess the promised land. That is God's plan. From where you're at right now, you're going to possess the promised land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I need to know who I have that's available for war because guess what? There's people that live in your land and you're going to have to conquer them. Yes. He didn't say they were going to have to do it by themselves. And it wasn't that God didn't know already these people, but He wanted Israel to know these people to know what their resources were and what they had and to be prepared. Remember, they have only faced an opposition of another people one time since they left Egypt. They were slaves. God purposely took them the long way coming out of Egypt so they would not have to go to war because He knew they were not ready, that they would turn tail and run, that they would be defeated based on their own mindset. So now he's like, you know, we, have, we are going to have no choice but to subdue the people that live in this land for you to receive your promise. Let's start numbering and see just exactly like what you have. Question. Mm-hmm. I thought it was age 18 that they had to go to fight. That's America. That's the United yeah, States. Yeah, that's the United States. No, but at the end of the male and female. Well, it may be now. That may be what their stipulation is, just like the United States. And they do take women, just like the United States does. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and they take them young. I mean, 18 years old. And they have to do it to you. Yeah. That is requirement. But that's after the Holocaust. Yeah. But but not here. Here it was 20. It was 20. So... What I'm going to let you do, instead of us going through all of these scriptures and all of these names that I can't pronounce, you've already wrote them all down. See that. Um, Because that'll take a lot of time. I want you to be familiar with these names because they will show up again. But what you can do this week at home, on your chart where it says the prince of the tribe, these are all of the tribes. I filled that part in for you. If you want to write in all of those names so you'll be familiar with them, I'm going to let you do that at home. They are all listed in Numbers chapter 1, actually from uh, verse 5 through verse 15. It will tell you every one of the names. Now what is interesting about this, in verse 4... God tells them, and with you, because he's telling Aaron and Moses that you're going to have to go number all of these people. Do you realize how many people there are that they're dealing with? About three million. Now, that includes women and children. We're looking at over 600,000 men that are numbered. So for two men to try and figure out, okay, What tribe are you from? Are you the right age? That would take forever. We've only got 50 days, and we don't even have a full 50 days to accomplish this. So God has a plan. He says in verse 4, And with you there shall be a man of every tribe, every one head of the house of his fathers. 
That's where the princes are chosen. Guess what? God chooses the princes. Aaron and Moses do not choose who these men are. God already has them chosen to be Moses and Aaron's helpers. So Moses and Aaron have nothing to do with it. They're just told, hey, look, these are the men that are going to be helping you. Go get them. They're going to help you perform this census. So let's skip down to verse 16. This is after all of them are named. And it says, These were the renowned of the congregation, princes of the tribes of their fathers, heads of thousands in Israel. And Moses and Aaron took these men which are expressed by their names. And it says they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month and they declared their pedigrees after their families. They had to know where do you fall? Do you fall under which tribe? Which one of the sons of Jacob do you fall in? What is your pedigree? By the house of their fathers, according to the number of their names from 20 years old and upward, by their poles. That word poles there means individuals. God's not looking at an army that is just a mass of people. Do you realize he's looking at every one of them individually? That's hard to fathom. But we have to remember God looks at each one of us individually, which is even harder to fathom. Just think about all of our quirks, our weird personalities, our traits, our faults, our good things, our bad things. Just like God knew each one of these men, God knows each one of us. And God likes to number things. We're told that He knows the number of the stars in the sky. And not only does He know the number, but each one of them has a name. And scientists tell us that stars burn out after a while and they no longer shine. And do you know God knows that? The one familiar scripture that everybody knows is God knows the number of the hairs on our head. Not just the number of the hairs that are there, that there are 1,200,500,002 hairs, but each one of them is numbered. So when you brush your hair in the morning, and if you're like me and you pull all of them out that come out in the brush, do you know God knows that's number one and that's number five and that's number 2,500,002. He knows the exact number of the hair that came out of your head this morning. He knows when you look down on your shirt and you pull one off, which I probably have one hanging around somewhere, exactly what number of hair that is. It is hard to imagine that God is that intimate with each and every one of us. But He is. We need to remember that. We are that important to our Heavenly Father. So He knew each one of these men, each one of these children of Israel, He knew them by name. He knew them by tribe. He knew their age. He knew their physical abilities. But He wanted 
Israel. He wanted everyone in the whole congregation to be familiar with these men. So they counted each one. So let's go through and look at the numbers of all of these people. We will write these down today because I think we've got time. And these are all listed from verses 20 oh wow, through 46. It lists all of these tribes and their numbers. And this is astounding numbers for me. So you have Reuben. There were 46,500 just in that one tribe. Then you have, and I think I just spelled Reuben's name wrong. You have Simeon. There's 59,300. You have Gad, who is 45,650. You have Judah, which is 74,000. 600. You have Issachar. There's 54,400. You have Zebulon. There's 57,400. Now the tribe of Joseph is split into two. You have Ephraim and Manasseh. Of Ephraim, there is 47,500. Manasseh, there is 32,200. You get Benjamin. Thirty-five thousand four hundred. There's Dan, sixty-two thousand seven hundred. There's Asher, forty-one thousand five hundred. And then Naphtali, Oh, did I put them in the wrong order on the paper? Oh. Did I have wrong scripture? Okay. Okay. Let me look again. Forty. 40,000. Yep, you're right. 40,000. Sorry. 500. Your teacher is subject to error. I do not claim to be the end-all know-all. Any other errors or does that look good? Okay. All right. So the total 
And I did not add up all those numbers to see if Scripture was correct. I just took Scripture that it is correct, is given in verse 46. Even all they that were numbered were 603,550. That's a large army. Now, you will notice the tribe of Levi is not mentioned here. They were not numbered in this census. The reason why is because the tribe of Levi did not go to war. The tribe of Levi's, uh, their responsibility was the tabernacle. They were to maintain, set up, move everything that had to do with the tabernacle, the Levites did. So they were not numbered in this census. They are numbered, but not here. These were all of the tribes that had men available to go to war. 603,550. And that information about the Levites is actually found underneath that uh, in verses uh, 49 through 51. It tells us that they are to look after the tabernacle. That is their responsibility. They are to take it down. They are to set it up. They are to maintain it. So, what's interesting about this number or what is significant about this number? Anybody have any idea? What was the promise to Abraham? What was one of the promises? That your seed shall be as the stars of the sky and the sand on the earth. Sands of the desert, sands of the sea. Um, is that a large number that you could think of for Abraham's descendants? It just goes to show that God's promises to Abraham are true even though Abraham and Sarah had no child. Even when they had no child, that was his promise. Here's the fruition of it. Here's the proof of it. The other significance of this number, and this is what blew my mind away because I had never, ever thought about it before. I've got my notes all out of order, so hang on a minute here. Here we go. Look to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, and we're going to look starting in verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them... As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, 
which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to you to make you dwell therein, save Caleb and Joshua. But your little ones, which you said shall be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness. Have you ever thought about the number of people that perished in the wilderness? That's the number of just the men. These men are 20 years and up. If they had a wife, which they all might have, we're looking at over 1.2 million people that could have died in the wilderness in the 40 years that they wandered due to the fact that they did not obey God. Have you ever thought about that before, that number? We think, oh, they died in the wilderness. It was a couple of hundred people or whatever, you know. That to me was staggering. If there is about three million people in that congregation, you're looking at wiping out almost half of their congregation. And Joseph's like, well, it'd probably be like it is today when people die and you don't notice. And there were instances, we are told in Scripture, where there were several thousand that perished at a time, that got immediate retribution from God. But one commentator went out here and he said, if you divide that number by 14,600 days, which is exactly the number of days in 40 years, that is 82 people a day that died. I think you would notice. That wilderness that they were walking through because they were disobedient to God and did not believe His promise, and He told them and promised them, you will not see the promised land, it was like a big burial ground. That blew my mind away. I had never thought about that. I looked it up this morning just to see. Um... You know, we get concerned when we hear about this coronavirus. It's spreading wide, worldwide panic, and yet only 800 people worldwide have died so far. And it, granted, it's only been a few months, time span, but still, in the grand scheme of things, this year from the flu in the 2019-2020 season, so far in the United States, we've had 14,000 people to die from the flu. That's a much larger number than even the coronavirus, but we don't even hear about it hardly because coronavirus has taken over. But still, that is a very small number. I mean, we're looking at 100 years that it would take to meet this people that died. That magnitude, like I said, just totally floored me. Don't think that just because God decides not to punish us right away for something that we have done, that we are getting away with it? God is a God of judgment. And there is punishment that comes when we are disobedient. Mm 
whether it comes swiftly and he wipes them off the face of the earth with fire, or if he opens the earth up and swallows them, or if it waits for 40 years while they're roaming in the wilderness and they drop off 82 a day. Can you imagine what the Israelites started thinking when people started dying? I think it was in their mind. Oh my word, when is going to be my day? Because I'm about the same age as that person that just died and God promised they were going to die and that guy just died and he shouldn't have died. Is tomorrow my day? Is it going to happen later today? Their minds thought exactly like our minds think. I don't want you to think they were not people like us. They thought the same way. But do not think that God's promise of judgment is not real. The fact that He says He's coming again and He brings judgment with Him, if you're not ready to meet Him, trust me, there is judgment coming. We need to stay ready on a daily basis every day to make sure that we're prepared to meet God because we never know when our day's coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Faith. Don't grumble, don't complain, don't worry. Fear is the number one thing I think is worry. I had one of the dearest saints of God one day tell me, my life is just full of worry. I need to be delivered from that. I know I do, but I just worry. I never thought I would have heard those words come out of her mouth. And I was like, really? But then you start taking, you know, you start taking inventory yourself and all of these things that God tells us not to do, to rely on Him for, guess what? We do it. We're guilty every day. So we need to take inventory ourselves of our own lives because it is coming. He's a God of judgment, but He's also a God of mercy and a God of love. And His mercies renew every day. And if we mess up, All we have to do is say, oops, I messed up. Please forgive me. So let's have a word of prayer before we go upstairs. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name, Lord, thanking you for your word. I thank you for their students, and I thank you for their attention to your word, Lord. I thank you for their diligence to your word. I pray that you'll have this to plant deep within our souls, God, that you are a God of judgment, that you do have a standard for your people, that you do expect our faithfulness in your promises, and you do expect us to live for you, Lord, but that also you have provided a way of escape, Lord, that we don't have to face your judgment, that we can live and reign with you forever if we just trust you and have faith in you and believe in you. Lord, I pray that you'll be here this morning in our service, God, that you'll have your way here, that you'll walk up and down the aisles of the church and the aisles of our heart, God, that you'll prick us and change us where we need to be changed, God. I pray that you'll just have your way in everything that's done. Help us to be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you so deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you are dismissed.